Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Greg. My name's Alicia. And we are here stuck in a shitty bathroom, chained from one side of the wall to the other, but at least we have beer. At least we have beer. Which makes it another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Welcome. If you all haven't noticed the sound of our crisp, clean voices by now, we finally, finally got ourselves a microphone, so you will have much better audio quality from here forward. Yeah, hopefully. It's got to be better than my iPhone. Yeah, no doubt. For those of you who have stuck with us this long, thank you and enjoy better audio. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for (laughs) bearing with us. Yes. Moving on up in the world here, podcasting world. It is a nice looking microphone. Got ourselves a Blue Yeti Blackout Edition. Yes, we do. I hear good things. So what are you drinking tonight? Tonight, in the spirit of Halloween, since this was my spooky, or no, scary, scary pick, (laughs) I went for the Stone... No surprise there. Enjoy by 10-31-20 IPA. Nice. So when they put out these Enjoy by beers, it's basically a super, super fresh batch that goes bad very quickly, right? So you have to drink it fresh? Yes. Okay. But they're super delicious. Every single one I've ever had was amazingly good. Yeah. That they're 4th so of July fresh. one, that one was, was really good. The best in my And opinion. sometimes they just do a normal Enjoy by on their regular... Stone IPA. Mm-hmm. And even those are just out of the park good. Yeah. It's just fresh. So here's to that. We have another winner? They're all winners. I've never <laughs> had a stone beer that I didn't like. I don't think oh. you liked the go-to IPA. The Ripper was okay. The, go-to, the go-to I didn't like. That, that was the one with like the yellow label, right? Yeah. You like that that's one? true. I did not yeah. like that one. But one out of what? A hundred at yeah. least. Several tens. Yeah. Probably close to a hundred. You want to try it? Yeah. It smells really good. Yeah, it's nice. They usually do. The fresh ones always smell really good. It's not a as strong as some of their other ones, I don't feel. It's not for me. I didn't think you would like it. No, it's it's definitely fresh, but mm-hmm. it's a little too bitter for bitter. you. Yeah. Yeah, I can Yeah, it's it's bitter. Taste the bitterness that you would taste. And what are you enjoying? Well, for a ninth gate episode, we paired that movie with a beer from the I'm gonna butcher this name, Unibrow. Unibrow? I'm gonna say Unibrow. It's U N I B-R-O-U-E. It's a Canadian brewery. We paired that movie with their La Fin du Monde beer. So I picked up another one from them, and it's called, I'm also going to butcher this, Trois Pistoles. It is a Belgian-style dark ale, and it's 9% alcohol. You always go for those heavily alcohol ones. Yep. I feel like it just so happens that the types of beer I like are usually higher in alcohol. I can't say I've had a lot of Belgian-style dark ales, though. It's really interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks like Coca-Cola. It tastes very good. (laughs) (laughs) Like? Uh, I can't explain it. Almost like, okay, I don't want to say Coca-Cola because I feel like you put that idea in my head, but a little bit. Can I try it? Yeah, it's very good. It smells like Coke. It tastes like a little bit like soda and it's very tasty. It tastes like a soda beer. Like a very good soda beer. It's yeah, very, it's it's very beer. tasty. <laughs> I don't think I've had a beer like this before. It almost feels carbonated. Yeah. I don't know if that's just the it's fun. subconscious effect. That's what I'm wondering. Like I feel your like brain's just you playing said tricks that. with you. Like you think you're drinking soda, so you think it should be carbonated. I wonder if you hadn't said that, if it would still taste like soda to me. You'll never know now. Mm-hmm. Fucked up that whole experience for you. <laughs> I like it. That's good. It almost has that underneath, too. There's like that musty taste that I like. I get kind of a malty. It's definitely malty, but there's a little bit of funk too. Show is funky. I love a good funky beer. 
All right, so your pick this week to kick off the second week of October was none other than the OG Saw from 2004. Numero uno. And I'll just say up front, I cannot believe how much I liked this movie on a repeated watch. It was a good, fun watch. I I was surprised, too. I had such a good time watching this. I was borderline cheering by the end of it. I was having so much fun. I really enjoyed Saw. Yeah, I think it holds up as well as it can for what it is, and it was fun, and you can tell... I I appreciate the fact that you can tell that it was low budget and put together kind of amateur hour. Yeah. But they had a cool idea, and they went with it, and I really appreciate that, and it was fun to watch that. It was, and I went in with very, very low expectations, because I first saw this movie when it came out in theaters. I was 13, and I maybe saw it one or two more times after that. It's been at least 10 years since the last time I watched it, so I didn't know what to expect, but I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I was too. I remember... A lot of the bad things about this movie, because yeah. there's plenty of bad things oh, about we'll it. we'll get into those. Yeah, there's and plenty so of issues. And so that was what was in the forefront of my mind before going into this. Yeah, same. And I think with that heavy-weighted bias, it was kind of helped in a way, because the good parts shone a little bit more. Yes. So just to kind of kick off our discussion... And I guess as a way to acknowledge the success of this movie, because I think you told me earlier today that this was the most successful horror franchise of all time. So I didn't look into it all that much, but I saw something that according to the BBC, this was Mm -hmm. the most successful horror franchise of all time. Wow. Now, I don't know what that criteria is. Okay. Like what constitutes success. Yeah, like ratings, box office. I'm assuming most of the time that's box office. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that the first three just knocked it out of the yeah. park. With I was actually that. looking at the first one in particular, because obviously that's what we're reviewing. So I didn't want to spend too much time looking at the other ones, because I'm sure at some point we'll have to hit them. Or at least some of them. I don't know if we're going to go down that rabbit hole all the way or not. Because <laughs> it's deep. Yeah. But this movie only cost $700,000 to make. Wow, really? Which is incredibly cheap. For any type of movie, let alone a horror movie that actually has some pretty good stunts in it. Yeah. You know, with some shooting scenes and kind of head explody scenes and stuff like that. As well as not unnamed actors, you know, Carrie Elways yeah, and Danny Glover. Danny Glover. So all that considered, $700,000 is insanely cheap. Yeah. And it... In its first weekend at the box office, made $18 million. That's so crazy. I'd like to think that I had a part in that. You did. As a 13-year-old. You did. But that's a 25-time <laughs> gain in one weekend for wow. this movie. Let alone, you know, everything else that it propagated. Can you imagine how that feels as the people who worked on this movie? Like, I think of, like, Paranormal Activity. I know we'll cover that one at some point, but that was the same kind of situation. It was a shoestring budget, and it just knocked it out of the park with the box office revenue. That's got to be so rewarding. Yeah. And I'll say about James Wan, this guy knows how to make a successful franchise, and you can really see the seeds of that in this movie. Mm -hmm. For sure. So just an acknowledgement of that, we have compiled, each of us have compiled a list of our top three favorite horror franchises. We did. 
Although, to be fair, I have a pretty large hunch that we're going to have mainly overlap. Yeah, and there's only three. So we'll have to do some honorable mentions. Yeah, I, I did write down some honorable mentions just in case because I don't want people to feel gypped on recommendations here. The criteria that I set up for this list was the franchise has to have at least three movies in it, and we have to have liked at least two of them for them to make our top three list. Which was surprisingly stringent criteria Yeah, for a horror franchise. Because you put together, for me, a pretty lengthy list of horror franchise movies. Yes. And when I was going through that, I went down the list and I was like, piece of shit, piece of shit, piece of shit, piece of shit. <laughs> Yeah, piece of shit. Love it, piece of shit, piece of shit. <laughs> well, why don't you kick us off and start with your number three, and then we'll go back to My number forth. three? Yeah. So I had to kind of dice this up to two possibilities, because I really don't know if I can say that I liked one more than the other. Yeah, that was hard for me, too. on where I'm at. And I'm also not entirely sure that I actually like two movies out of either one of these. Okay. So, of those... The first was Texas Chainsaw. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, first of the three. Okay. Like of, oh, okay. of the two for the third place. Yeah, not not the number one place. Okay. So it was either Texas Chainsaw. I'm so surprised that you had that. Really? Yeah. I just love that first one so much. Oh, wait, who doesn't? It's fantastic. And then I yeah. think somewhere along the lines there was another one that might have been fun. I had a good time with the 2003 remake. It's been a while since I've seen it, but... It successfully scared the shit out of me when I saw it. And then, and that same token on that same coin for that same spot, the third place, I also had the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, specifically because we recently, somewhat recently, had watched the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was pleasantly surprised by how good that was. And I also genuinely have mad respect for the creation of Freddy Krueger. Yeah. I think it's one of the cooler horror entities that has ever been conceived and put up in a mainstream way. And I don't remember any of the other movies all that much, so I don't know if any of the other ones are I would actually enjoy them. But between liking that movie and liking Freddy Krueger himself, I had to I, I feel like it kind of fits the criteria that you set up. That's so cool. I really didn't think you were gonna pick those. I'm really excited. Oh yeah, what did you yeah. think I was gonna have? For third. Well, I didn't know what you're going to have for third, but I I'm sure I knew you what can... you were going to have for your top two. Yeah. And your top two are neck and neck for me because they are both in my list, if I have them correct. so You definitely do. I know you do. <laughs> so I guess I'm, I'm going to have to put this one as number three. But for number three, I have the Hannibal Lecter series. Silence of the Lambs. Manhunter, which I haven't actually seen, but it, it supposedly starts with that one. Hannibal. Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising. So of the ones I have seen, I liked all of them. I loved Hannibal and Silence of the Lambs. Who doesn't? A lot of people really don't like Hannibal. That one got really bad ratings. That's people don't like it. such a good horror movie. I love Hannibal. It's a completely different movie than the first one. Completely different vibe. But I think, like you said, it is a fantastic horror movie. Fuck Yeah. I'll go and do it more because I have that on my list. But, cool. Okay. Because <laughs> that was actually my number two. Okay. I figured it would Hannibal be. Hannibal yeah. my number two. And I have to say, you know how much we love Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you don't know how much we love Nine Inch Nails, we fucking love Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. And with that, 
One of the things I love about Nine Inch Nails is the fact that no one of their, no two of their albums are alike. That if you liked the last Nine Inch Nails album, whichever one that may be, mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that you're going to like the next one. Yeah. His music's so different and he branches out and does something different every single fucking time. And that's what makes it fresh and original. Yeah. But it has stylistic things are obviously Trent. That being said, I think it's akin with the Hannibal series because I don't think any two Hannibal movies in the series are like the other ones. They all have a different way of exploring horror and exploring the story and exploring the character of Hannibal Lecter and those in the series that are interacting with him. Yes. So if you went into Hannibal looking for Silence of the Lambs Part 2... Yeah, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. Just as if you went into any other one of those movies in the franchise series looking for something akin to the other one that you did like, I think you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. But if you go into it just enjoying the creativity and the character put into a new type of movie, it's great. 100%. I couldn't agree more. You put it into words perfectly. Thank you. So that was your number two pick. Oh, my okay. number two. Like I said, number my list was very, very hard, and you might be surprised by my number one. That it's in the number one spot. But my number two was, of course, the Alien series. With that one, you have, of course, the first, which is one of the best horror movies ever. The sequel, Aliens, which is one of the best action movies ever. And then you have Prometheus, which just blew my fucking mind the first time I saw it. And every subsequent watch. But that feeling I had walking out of the theater the first time we saw Prometheus, that was just... I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah, that's one of my... I, that's my number one spot of Alien. I love those movies. I've talked about it before. Alien is probably one of my favorite horror movies and probably one of my top favorite movies in general. Yeah. Definitely in the top three, I would have to say. And as you stated, I love Aliens and Prometheus was amazing. I love that movie. I know a lot of people didn't. And there's some things... No movie's perfect, You know, it definitely has some flaws, but the flaws that it does have, I feel, are pretty superficial. And I think it's kind of like what you were saying with the problems people have with Hannibal, where if you go into Prometheus expecting a blow-by-blow prequel to the events that occurred in Alien, you're not going to like it, because it leaves you with even more questions. But that was what I loved about it. Yeah. And... I don't want to go too deep into that because we're going to cover that at some point and I'm going to get super philosophical when I do it because that's what I love about that movie in general and that series is it just, and like I said about sci-fi and sci-fi horror is it's really just a exercise in philosophy and making people think and ask big questions and the answers that they come up with ultimately just create more and more questions, which is essentially the scientific endeavor. Nevertheless, it's a great fucking movie. And if you don't like it, I'm going to do my utmost best to convey to you why I love it when we cover that and hopefully tug you in the right direction. Yes, you owe it to yourself to give that movie another shot. Yes. If you are a sci-fi horror Whenever fan. we get to it, don't knock it till you hear my take. Well said. <laughs> so what was your number one? So my number one spot, and I, I was a little bit surprised by this, but I was looking at it from a few different angles. So I was thinking... You know, the initial criteria I set, like, I have to like two installments in the franchise. 
And then I started thinking, what is something that I can just keep coming back to over and over again? And it still brings me just as much enjoyment. So I had to go with, for my number one spot, the Evil Dead franchise. You love that shit. I love it so much. And when you think about, or when I think about, the community around it and how influential not only the first one, but all of them have been on horror. It's just so iconic. And I have loved every single installment in the Evil Dead franchise, except for the remake, which I loved the first time I saw it in theaters. So I had to kind of include that too, because when I went and saw that, when it first came out, I thought it was an amazing remake at the time. Not so much now. Listen to our episode on it to hear our take on it. It does not hold up for me, but... I am so in love with that series. All of them are hysterically funny. The first one has true elements of horror. The practical effects that they were able to pull off with a minimal budget is just still impressive to this day. And then now we have the Ash vs. Evil Dead series, which is just exactly everything I could have hoped for. One of these days, you're going to have to welcome me into the fold and have me watch one of these movies. I'm going to have you watch Evil Dead I can't Dead believe you too. started it out with that remake. <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> For you? I yes. know. I feel so... Well, technically I started you off with the first one, but it doesn't count because you were asleep the whole time. Yeah, that does yeah. not count. So I'm going to start you off, I think, with Evil Dead 2. 2? Yeah, that's the best one. Okay. Well, I'm ready. Okay. I will have, I will say that every time I've come home and walked by the TV while you've been watching Ash vs. Evil Dead, is that what it is? Yeah. Like, I can't help but stop for a few seconds or a minute and watch whatever you're watching because it's just ridiculous <laughs> and, just and super funny like it doesn't matter what point i come in on like it's always <laughs> something really crazy and funny and quirky bruce campbell is a gift yeah if you really want to see what he can do I, I think i should start you off on evil dead too because that was just the peak of this whole series it's always so much fun and it's the perfect thing to watch if you're in the mood for horror but you don't want anything serious you just want gore and fun after like i said after seeing you watch ash versus evil dead yeah i'm totally in i'm down to watch it i, okay. I get the funniness aspect of yeah. it that remake was just something else yeah super not funny well that was fun yeah Good yeah i guess as i said when i went down this list i realized that i don't think i'm a big fan of franchises in the first place yeah once after i had this idea and i actually sat down to make the list i was like shit there's really not a lot of good (laughs) good ones that you know continue with the hits after the first movie no not at all i do have some honorable mentions though sure the first one is of course the nightmare on elm street series and i haven't seen the sequels in a very long time i did pretty recently watch the second one and i like it i'm not gonna say it's a good movie but it was fun and I liked it. And that's where you really start getting the snarky, funny Freddy Krueger, like when the humor comes in. I remember when I was a kid, I loved the third one so much. Which one is that? That's Dream Warriors, where they're in the asylum. Oh, okay. And Nancy comes back in that one, or she's in that one. I remember there was uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I remember that one, like liking that one when I was younger. I don't think I ever actually saw that one. I, I don't saw know the anything first about four. it. I just remember the cover. It was one of those blockbuster experiences where you went to go, yeah. you know, cruise the aisles and rent something, and it was a scary movie that you were allowed to watch, and it yeah. looked like a cool cover for me to check out something, you know, that was more adult than I should be watching. 
A New Nightmare is, I don't think I've seen that one, but it has, I think, Wes Craven playing himself and then Heather Langenkamp playing herself. And it's kind of a self-aware play on the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So there, it's oh, like a movie about them interacting with and talking about the Elm Street series. And then like Freddy Krueger shows up in real life to these characters who are actually playing themselves or these actors who are playing themselves. So it's kind of interesting. A lot of people really liked it. I don't think I've seen it. It might be good. Yeah, I'd like to Who check knows? it out. Uh, another honorable mention I had was the Paranormal Activity series. That one, just for its success, you have to give them a mention. I'm also a big fan of the first three. Three? I like all three of them quite a bit. Huh. I saw four, not very good. One, two, and three, solid, in my opinion. I think three was better than two, which seems to be the case with a lot of franchises for some reason, but... Solid first three movies. That's still pretty impressive. Yeah. Did I ever see the second one with you? You and I watched the second one, yeah. I think I fell asleep again, though. Probably. <laughs> but I like it. It was the one with the Katie's sister with the short I hair remember, and there's a baby. I kind of remember, but I also remember like, falling asleep and really? then you having to give me like kind of a recap while oh, I was still man. sleepy, so I don't remember it. And then my last honorable mention is the Cloverfield universe, I'll call it, because there's a lot going on there. You know, so I was looking at that, and I actually kind of want to watch me that one. So I've only ever seen the 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes, by far the best one. Which I loved. Yeah, me too. And so it made me want to watch some of the other ones, but I still don't know if I'd like them or not. So you and I watched the Cloverfield Paradox with my brother. Oh, we did. Which I wasn't, I fell asleep. I wasn't crazy about it, but I really like the first Cloverfield, the found footage one, and 10 Cloverfield Lane was just brilliant. That was just a great movie. Yeah. It really was. I was impressed with that. Yeah. So I had to give that one a shout out. And was that the second? 10 Cloverfield Lane? Yeah. I think so. Technically? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like that happens very often where the sequel is... I don't know if it is, but in my opinion, it seems like it's a better movie than the original. It is a better movie. (laughs) All right. That was fun. Good list. I was so shocked that you had Texas Chainsaw in there. That's awesome. I just really like that first movie. Yeah. I don't, I'd never seen anything like that. Most people hadn't, I don't think. I feel like it really did inspire a whole new generation of horror movie makers Mm -hmm. as well as horror movie watchers. I think that, because I saw that one very, very late. The first time I saw it was with you just a few years back. I think that is the most stressed out I've been watching a horror movie in a very long time. Yeah, he does an amazing job, Toby Hooper, of capturing visceral and just the physiological aspect of fear. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to cover that one. That's going to be a good one. Definitely. So are you ready to talk about Saw? I am. All right. Let's, let's get Let's cut in. to it. Okay, so this came out in 2004 during a time that was just dismal for horror. And it was, of course, directed by... James Wan. Do you remember your first time seeing this movie? It was quite... I didn't see it in the theaters or anything like that. I saw it a number of years later after all the hoopla. And I didn't know the big reveal, mm-hmm. fortunately, when I first saw it. You didn't I, know it? I didn't know that. Oh, sweet. Okay. I did kind of know because at that point it went from... I think it went to like instantly part of the... What's the word I'm looking for when it just becomes part of the culture, like the zeitgeist? Yeah, yeah. Where the whole everybody was saw talking cutting about leg, it. Yeah, everybody yeah. was talking about it, and the whole act, the literal sawing of his leg off type of thing. Yeah, where there's just like it was before memes, but like jokes <laughs> everywhere. And, yeah, 
instantly became part of the zeitgeist. So it was hard not to get that that information out of it. But I didn't know the big reveal, fortunately. And I was really disappointed with the acting. And I remember being atrocious. Just feeling the acting was insanely bad. Yeah. And I feel sorry to say that. You know, since we've done this, it's easy to talk shit in the privacy of your own home. Yeah. When it's just like you talking. But when you actually start talking about the actors and directors and people involved with making this type of thing, I don't want to just like shit all over them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they did try and there's some things. So at the time, worst acting I've ever seen in my life type of thing where now it's like it was really bad acting, but yeah. I got to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I still enjoyed the movie. Yes. It wasn't like it didn't ruin the movie. No. Yeah. But I don't want to just, like, shit all over people for no good reason. Yeah. Nevertheless. I'd say you have a good reason. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> but you're so sweet. <laughs> it's okay. It was bad. It was bad acting. It was. It was. It's okay. They had a good time. It seems like they had a good time. Definitely. We had, we had a good time. Everybody I had a good time. I think I would be really shocked if a single person in that movie, at this point and the stage of things, didn't have the clarity and humility to look back on this and say, yeah, our acting was really bad. Yeah. I don't think there's a single one of them that could say that they did a good job with a straight face. No. So, in that sense, I don't feel too bad. Good. You shouldn't. But I do remember that ending just, bam. Yeah. That was the most powerful thing. I also, this was on the coattails of Seven a little bit, oh, I yeah. feel. This was, I felt heavily influenced by Heavily, Seven. yeah. That's so you have that smart psychological, intelligent killer that is outsmarting the police, outsmarting his victims, and is very methodical about everything that he does. And this whole idea of a serial killer that plays games with his victims. And I also thought it was really clever, especially at the time, I remember somebody in the movie saying, you know, he's never actually killed anybody. They've only ever killed themselves. And I thought that was really fucking cool. It is very cool. What about you? So you saw this at the box office. You were part of that 18 million. I was part of it. I saw this movie when I was 13 years old. So my dad took my brother and I to see this movie when it came out. And my mom was pissed. I explained on previous episodes how my dad got me into horror at a very young age. I watched a lot of shit that I was too young for, but I have zero regrets. He has zero regrets. It has made me into the horror fanatic that I am today. And I am very grateful for it. But my dad took us to see Saw when it came out. And my brother, I was 13 and my brother was 10. And it was so funny because we bought the tickets and walked into the theater. And then my dad went to hand the ticket to the usher. And the guy looked down at the ticket and looked up at my dad and then looked down at my brother and I, especially my brother, because he was a small kid at the time. I was going to say your brother already looks young. Yeah. And he just kind of has one of those baby faces. He like, he a, looks very he young. So I imagine face. at 10 years old, your brother he was looked a baby. like he's eight, probably. Yeah, he was a baby. So he looked at my brother and up at my dad. He was he just went, dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like, pleading with my dad, please do not take these small children to see this movie. And then my dad's response was, it's okay, I'm raising axe murderers. <laughs> I love guy, that story. Just, dude. Dude, come on. <laughs> Just kudos to that guy for trying to defend our honor. But we went in, we saw it, and we fucking loved it. All three of us. I will never forget seeing that ending for the first time. And you know how much I love 
a mean ending to a horror movie. I love that so much. And I almost wonder if that's what started it. Because it that was been. a mean ending and it, it was. blew my mind. I was like, holy shit. I think that was the other thing. And like you said, it came after a dismal time. Yeah. And as you know, I've never, I'll say never, I've kind of gotten into them now. But <laughs> I, I was not necessarily a horror genre person. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what flipped my banana. But I do remember seeing this movie and thinking, like, that was fucking different. Yes. As much as there was wrong with it, yeah, it did some sh- like the ideas and the concepts and the way that they pulled it off. It was like kudos, man. That was fucking cool. Yeah, I was one of those people. After it ended, I could not stop talking about it. Well, apparently nobody could. Yeah. That's why they made fucking thirteen of these or however many they're at now. The other sequels came out around Halloween. So when Saw Two came out, I was in high school. I think I was a sophomore in high school. I went with a group of my friends to the movie theater they used to have on Main Street in downtown Huntington Beach, and we all went and saw it on Halloween, Halloween night, and it was so much fun. The entire theater was packed with high school students who weren't old enough to get into that movie, and it was just such a good time. And nice. same thing with the third one. I think that it was closer to the end of me being in high school, but same thing. I went to go see that in theaters around Halloween, and it was a good time. It really is a perfect movie to get you in the Halloween spirit. It's a great Halloween movie. It's so interesting because when you said that, I was surprised that that was your pick for our Halloween season horror movies. And then once we actually watched it and the more I thought about it, especially just watching it again, it really just felt like a Halloween movie. It does. I feel like it's a quintessential Halloween watching. Would you watch it again? Not like immediately, but yeah. I would watch it again at some point in my life. Yeah, I think I would too. I, I was honestly shocked how much I liked Slot. I love that ending. I yeah. really do. I think this was actually my second time watching it, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was wondering if the big reveal being ruined would make the movie just atrocious. Yeah. But it didn't at all. And there were things about it I didn't remember. A lot of the idiosyncrasies of the plot that there is. Yeah. I didn't remember a lot of that. So it kind of still made it interesting, and I was like trying to look at it from the game perspective more and try to see clues and see if there's anything that I could pick up on that we were supposed to pick up on or Easter eggs and things like that. I don't know if there was any way to deduce that. Do you? No, and I can't tell if that's just like really good misdirection or if it's just messy and that it's intentionally messy so that nobody could have guessed what that's what I that's what I get out of it. Yeah, I think it was so intentionally messy that there's no possible way we could have guessed that before seeing it or having no, it and for us. and also knowing that, like we've already mentioned, it was a low budget, but they also shot it at record time for any movie, let alone a horror movie with some special effects. They shot this whole movie in 18 days. Oh damn! And on top of that, and this is the part that was no surprise. They did zero rehearsals. You don't say. <laughs> zero rehearsals. I know that's a shocker. But flat out, they couldn't afford it and they didn't have the time to do it. So okay. they're just like... Just go for whatever it. Whatever they got pretty much on the first shot, essentially. Wow. Was, they had almost no time. I think it was Danny Glover and one of the other... I think it was... Uh, I can't remember her name, but she was the actor that was in Starship Troopers and... In Devil's Advocate, and she was. I don't remember her name either. She was one of the agents that was uh, down explaining what was happening when they were going through the guy in the razor blade situation. Yeah. 
her and Danny Glover both shot all their scenes in two days. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) In and out. But like I said, especially in light of all that, I have mad respect for them bringing this to Vision, for pulling it off as well as they did, considering everything. They were inspired, apparently, by the Blair Witch Project. Pretty heavily, they said. Really? Not so much in the plot or anything of the movie. But like but, how it was made. But how it was low budget, scary, and successful. I got to see the Blair Witch again. I really liked that one. I, I didn't see anything that they like were inspired to make a movie similar to or anything like that. But yeah. I think it was just the whole concept of low budget, we scary, successful. I can fucking do that. And I got better ideas. Wow. And pulling it off. And you can tell. That that's kind of what they were doing. And you can tell it was what seems like, in my opinion, and from what I was reading, I didn't go that far in depth, that it was one of their first films. Or they were new. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. You can tell it was kind of amateur hour. But again, I think that lends a certain vibe to the movie. It makes it a little bit grittier. It almost makes it like snuff filmish. Yes. In its directing and in its lighting and everything else, which intentional or not, it actually makes it scarier. I did really appreciate the level of grime and slime in this movie. It was dirty as hell. Yes. I was actually reading something that I found really interesting, speaking of the lighting thing, that the movie as it was shown at like the Sundance Festival was given a NC-17 rating for the lighting. Really? Which I had never heard of that before in my life. It was James Wan that was in this. This was like a transcript from the commentary on the DVD that I got this from. He said that there was a couple of things that they wanted them to tone down gore-wise. Because we should mention that as much as the Saw franchise is gore porn and really lit the match for gore porn movies and paved that path. This is not one of those movies. Yeah, there was hardly any gore at all in this movie. It was all implied. Yes. So it's, it's not very gory at all. So apparently the MPAA... Our best friends. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have lots of nice things to say about them. Did have a couple issues with a couple of the gore scenes that they wanted to tone down or shorten a little bit. Mm-hmm. But James Wan was saying that the thing that they had the biggest issue with was the lighting. Wow. And they actually had to change the lighting of the movie... Because they felt it was too much like a snuff film or something like that. Like That's it was strange. like, yeah. And I, I don't know if it was. I couldn't tell if it was an issue with censorship or if they were just so fucking pompous that they were like, it doesn't look like a production movie. Or I don't. It was really weird what I was reading. Like I'd never heard that before of the lighting changing the way that you get your rating. But I hate that whole fucking association, and it wouldn't surprise me if they were that goddamn pretentious. I did see... No, me either. I did see that the movie originally got an NC-17 rating, but I did not know that it was because of the lighting. Yeah, he said that the couple of things they had issues with gore-wise were super minimal, and it wasn't their big gripe. Wow. So, what were some of your favorite puzzles, or your favorite Uh, games? Favorite games? Well... My favorite puzzle was the bear trap just because it's so iconic and so terrifying. Like to me, that was some of the most terrifying imagery in the movie was this woman waking up in a chair with this device clamped over her head. 
and then the tape turns on and it's the doll speaking to her with Jigsaw's voice and explaining to her and showing her through a little demonstration what will happen to her face if she doesn't get out of this trap. That was fucked up. And the first time I saw it, I could not believe it. That was one of the things that everybody was talking about after this movie came out was the, oh my God, did you see the, like the reverse bear trap on that chick's face? There was some pretty ingenious stuff on that in the aspect of thinking about it happening to you. Yeah. And what you would do. I think that's another thing I liked about this is even though it is more or it has become associated with campier gore porn-ish type of stuff, I liked that it made you think. It made you think about what would you do if you were in that situation? How would you do that? It was almost what Joe Rogan wants Fear Factory to be. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I feel like Saw is what would happen if there was no censorship on... (laughs) Fear Factor was, like, big at that time, too. That is so funny. (laughs) And I gotta say, as far as, like, my other favorite puzzles, I think the main puzzle that we're following with Adam and Dr. Gordon, it's by far the most elaborate trap that we have seen Jigsaw set so far. Yeah. And I again, I have issues which I'll go into, but I think we should do the praising first, and then we can go through. The, so you have the issues, issues with the games themselves, or the acting and all that kind of stuff. I do have some issues with some of the games themselves. Okay. It's that kind of movie where it's so much fun to watch, and I really liked it. But any amount of reflection on this movie, or just pulling any of the threads, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. And I'm not here to do that. I will talk about some of the issues I have with it. But I think we should go through the things that we liked first. All right. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) What about you? What were some of your favorite puzzles? I think I would have to agree with... I mean, those are the ones that are most shown, too. You get more story out of both of those. Obviously, the whole movie is the one game. Yeah. So that one's pretty intimate. And it's the most complex one that he's done. I also... I don't know if... So the whole scene where the cops go in and break in to the warehouse when they're not supposed to. Yeah. Because they don't have a warrant. I get the impression that that was somewhat intentional. Them being led to break in there? Yeah. Okay, because that was actually one of my issues. So I'm interested to hear your take I on get that. the... Well, he yeah. was wholly prepared for that whole situation. Yeah. I was thinking about it at the time. And that guy that was, you know, mounted to the contraption that had the drills... Yeah. And him being there and all that kind of stuff was, as far as we know, 100% not his MO. Yeah. It did not jive at all. Really weird and jarring, especially if you think about what you know about Jigsaw. And the fact that the cops were able to pick up on that, I just kind of still, I was thinking about Seven. And I still think this is heavily influenced by Seven. For sure. And the luring of these guys and what he was able to do. I think he was fucking with them, and I think he lured them there, and I think that was part of his trap. Oh, that, if it I like wasn't, that, yeah. it didn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. But I, I can't think of any other reason why he would have a dude set up in his workshop. The other aspect is that all his victims have had to fight for themselves. Yeah. Where that person stood no chance whatsoever. Right. And it was really, you it know, you did. a trap for the cops. It was a job for the cops. Mm-hmm. So again, you had the uh, reverse bear trap chick. So yeah. there was another person in that room, but they weren't part of that 
winning of the game, you know? Yeah. They were just a pawn or a piece in the puzzle. I felt the same thing about that guy that was strapped to the chair. I don't think that guy was part of a game. He was a piece of the puzzle, but he wasn't an active participant. And the only persons that could be active participants are the police. Okay. There were things I really liked in that scene, like the old knife of the sleeve trick was really cool. Yes. To fight off the cops, that's where he cuts Detective Taps, Danny Glover's character, his throat. And then poor Detective Singh steps over a tripwire and just gets blasted by a cacophony of shotguns that are just set up over the top, like hanging down from the ceiling. Yeah. That was fucked up. <laughs> that was fucked, <laughs> fucked up. up. I'm glad that you brought up that point because I, I like that a lot better because I was just thinking, man, this guy, everything is a game to him. And I just can't help but wonder what he was like before his cancer diagnosis, if he was like this before where everything is a game and he's going through a drive through to get dinner and he's like trying to start shit with the people who work there. Like, what was it like trying to interact with this person? I was thinking about Dr. <laughs> Lawrence having to give this guy his diagnosis. Yeah. What a pain in the ass patient this motherfucker would have been. (laughs) Yeah. There are more scenes that I want to praise, but they're closer to the end. But since we're on the subject of Jigsaw, can we just talk for a second about what a dick this guy is? He's a complete cocksucker. Fuck this guy. Pretentious son of a bitch. I hate him. I love the psychological games. They're fun. Yeah. But what a dick. Dick but then if you is. think about what he's doing and why he's doing it... That's what I mean. I'm not saying I can ever get behind a serial killer, but when you watch a show like Dexter, where he is methodically killing other killers, at least they make you like Dexter yeah. to some degree. At the end, they just... Well, that, they play with that him. idea. Yeah, they play with First, that. First, they lure you into a sense yeah. of you know, being on the team, and then they start playing with the bounds yeah. of morality. But Jigsaw gets it. This guy... His name's John. I forgot his last name. Fucking gets John. His name's gets a, John. John. After all that, his name's yeah. John. John <laughs> gets a terminal cancer diagnosis and decides that with the last remaining years of his life, instead of, you know, going on vacation somewhere or just living out his last few years peacefully, he's going around punishing people who he feels don't appreciate their lives enough by putting them in these insanely elaborate traps. And my biggest issue with this movie is the people that he chooses for these traps. We have a person who is suffering from addiction, a person who is suffering from suicidal thoughts, and a person who seems to have some kind of mental illness like Munchausen syndrome. And then a guy who he perceives as angry and a guy who almost but didn't cheat on his wife and also gave him the cancer diagnosis. What an asshole. Completely. It doesn't matter who the person was. That yeah. whole concept of... The whole concept is shitty, but just the the fact that he is choosing people who are already suffering from things that are, to a degree, way out of their control, like addiction, suicidal thoughts, like, that is not how you deal with a person who is contemplating suicide. <laughs> so that's my biggest issue. And it was interesting to me that the most elaborate game was with Dr. Gordon and Adam. I guess it's because Dr. Gordon was the one who gave him his diagnosis. I think absolutely. But I don't I think, feel like I he's think, being a bitch about it. I think that you're trying to find logic where there is none. I guess so. You I can't just, look at it from the sense that he's choosing their elaborateness based on what they've done. Because as you said, what they've done is not a criminal offense. Yeah. None of these people deserve to be put in this situation. No. And... 
it really just comes down to this asshole being so embittered by the fact that he's gotten a terminal diagnosis. Yeah. You know what pisses me off, to be honest with you? What's that? Is that we don't know it so much at this point, right? But I know that later on we find out that Jigsaw... I, I Actually, we may find out this... Like, he's not a young man. No. I'm not saying he's old enough to die, but I think he's like in his... Late 50s, at least. Oh, I thought he was in his, like, 60s or 70s. Okay, I thought so, too, but I, I was just trying to give the benefit of the doubt. No, he's, he's so let's say this guy's age. in his yeah. fucking 60s. Let's yeah. just say 60s. You've had a whole fucking life. You know what I mean? Like, that's sad. Yeah. Nobody wants to see their grandfather die at 60. Nobody wants to die. In general, that's kind of young-ish. Mm-hmm. It's not, I won't say it's young, but it's premature. But nevertheless, you've gotten 60 fucking years on this planet... You've gotten a terminal illness, and you're going to turn around and start killing 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds that are living their lives and trying to deal with shit. Like, you've never had a circumstance that you had to overcome in your fucking life without having some pretentious asshole trap you in a room and strap a reverse bear trap to your fucking head? (laughs) Yeah. Mm, That's what pisses me off. It's It's that old, angry, white guy fucking syndrome but they feel like they're the only ones that have ever had a fight for anything and they're the only ones that deserve it and anyone who doesn't live the exact same life that they're living and so on and so forth is just a snowflake piece of shit pansy (laughs) that deserves to have their face ripped in half he's a prick I'm sorry, I feel like I was on a bit of a soapbox, but that was bullshit. It was bullshit. And just the whole concept of what he's doing pisses me off. And then the added layer of what I already talked about, the particular people that he feels deserve to be put through this is bullshit. So that aside, he's a dick. We've established that. It's amazing to me how confident he is that these traps are going to go exactly as planned. Because if you look at it, there are so many things that could go wrong. And I wonder what he would do if they did. Well, I also get the impression that, in a sense, he wants them to succeed. Yeah. Because I think he sees it two ways. Again, it's the pretentiousness of it. Is that you're either going to fail or you're going to die. Or two, you're going to get somebody who just, and this is what happened with the bear chick lady, Amanda, that now has an insanely profound appreciation for life. And he's lucky that that's what happened because... But that's that's it how pretentious. That's how pretentious he is. Like yeah. it's a duality. And like, I feel like because it worked for this one person, he's just going full force. Absolutely, now. yeah. And it didn't totally work for her, as we if you see the second or third one, she goes completely bananas. But in his short eyes, it worked. Yeah, she went yeah. Short version, she went bananas. <laughs> I just couldn't help but wonder because, like, the first shot of the movie is Adam waking up underwater in this bathtub. And he would have had to time that so perfectly, the exact moment when Adam was going to wake up after being placed underwater with his face and nose underwater, and the Dr. Gordon was going to wake up. So he was able to set everything up in this room, get Adam underwater, and then lay down on the floor, stage the blood, stage this whole scene. Well, he did have a helper. In the room, though? I believe so. I guess he had Zepp. Yeah. But wasn't Zepp with Dr. Gordon's family? We don't know if he ever... At we did point? see him leave at time to time, so... I was under the impression that he... he I mean, he's right there. He's yeah. literally on, like, the other side of the wall. Because I just kept thinking, like, what if Adam just fucking drowned at the beginning of the movie? 
Would he just get up and walk out and be like, oh, shit, I gotta think of a new trap for Dr. Gordon here. Like, what would he do? Yeah. Again, <laughs> yeah. you're just basing on the Again, fact that it's a physiological yeah. aspect that you it's don't messy. Yeah, yeah, it's messy. But going back to things that I liked that I thought were very effective, we find out later that Zepp, who is an orderly at the hospital that John was at and that Dr. Gordon works at, is actually helping Jigsaw. I guess... He's not really helping him. He was kind of forced into a trap himself. Yeah, I think we should clarify for those yeah. that are still listening that haven't seen the movie. Yeah. Zep is some dude that up to this point in the movie or throughout most of the movie. They make you think he's you the You think killer. he's the killer yeah. and you know that he is an orderly that is working with Dr. Lawrence, who's one of the guys that's chained up. Yes. And he's like kidnapped Dr. Lawrence's family and that's Dr. Lawrence's incentive to break out. Yeah, and then we find out... At the end, we play Zepp's tape, which was awesome. The first time around, you find out that he's involved in this too. It was also just another, like, wow, Jigsaw's a dick moment for me because Zepp was actually kind to John and sticking up for him when Dr. Gordon Lawrence treated him pretty callously. And he comes in and says, oh, he's actually a very interesting person. His name's John. And then Jigsaw's reward is like, oh, I'm going to poison you and force you to kill a mother and child so that you can help me. Like, what a dick. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, look at Amanda, reverse bear trap victim, whoever that was in the room with her. I remember that was being some things that I had issues with. Like, why does she get a chance to live, but the person who's drugged and has a key in their belly, like, what would happen to them? Well, that pisses me off, too, is because to me, all of these people are innocent, but he involves other people who have nothing to do with the situation that usually have to die for the people in the traps to survive. So it wasn't the case with the guy with the candle who burst into flame. It wasn't the case with the razor wire guy. But with Amanda and with even Dr. Gordon, he has to kill Adam. And Zepp has to kill Dr. Gordon's wife and child who are totally innocent and uninvolved in any of this. And like you said, and the detectives. Dick. Dick. (laughs) He's a dick. Dick. I did... Think this was a good horror moment, although again, if you pull any thread, it just doesn't make sense. But when Zepp actually goes into the room with Allison and Diana, Dr. Gordon's wife and daughter, and we we don't see his face for a very long time. We just see this man wearing all black with black gloves, and he has a gun and a stethoscope. And to me, it was very unnerving when he put the stethoscope up to the daughter's chest and then held a gun to the mom's head so he could hear her heart racing. I thought that was was a great scene, too. That was a great scene, and it was very scary, but it didn't make a lot of sense for his character. No, that's the thing. I was like, okay, so are you an asshole or are you not? Like, why are you doing this? Yeah, we are supposed to believe later on that he is also a victim in this and that he has to make the horrible choice of killing a mother and child to get the antidote for a poison that he's been given. Why is he torturing them like that? Yeah, like what's he getting out of this? All that of didn't make sense to me. So again, it was a very good scene, but if you put any thought into it, it just falls apart. Mm-hmm. But on its on the surface, very good horror scene. It was very scary. I also loved the scene when Adam has the flashback to how he got kidnapped. That was scary. With the camera flashes and the, the pig, pig mask. mask. Oh my God, that was scary. <laughs> I think as you we were tar- talking about like not being able to deduce that jigsaw is the dead body and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and as you just mentioned the scene with zep and some of those incongruencies i really think that's what lends to this being such a strong first watch yeah it's because all of those things even though if you step back and think about them afterwards 
there's some shit that doesn't really add up. Yeah. But at the time, it really lends to the credence that you think you're dealing with Jigsaw at that point. Yeah. Because who else would do that kind of thing? And so on and so forth. With all these different scenes and characters where it's like, that's a great horror scene. It was really fucking cool. It also made no sense. Yeah. You don't know it doesn't make any sense until way later. Until you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you've already given them 18 million. Yeah, exactly. And it's very enjoyable to watch. I just have major sympathy for Dr. Gordon, played by our beloved Carrie Elway. Because I feel like it would have been so hard not to just waste Adam. Immediately. Immediately. He was so annoying. (laughs) I'm really surprised that he didn't. But it even lends more to the testament. That he does not deserve to be there. Exactly. Like, you get the story. First, you're under the impression that he is cheating on his wife. Yeah, and then you find out he's actually not. He's not. He he's, thought about it. He yeah. was going to, but he didn't. He hasn't. And he didn't. He didn't. And, and it's still not also, a reason. It's shitty, but it's not a reason to be locked up in a room, forced to kill a man and tortured, and then have your family who's uninvolved held hostage. Right. On top of that, he's now put in a position where if he doesn't fucking kill this dude, his wife and daughter are going to die. And he's still so goddamn nice. Because I think it, it lends to the whole doctor character. I think it was a good idea to have him as a doctor. It's yeah. like the Hippocratic Oath. Like... Do no harm type yes, of situation. Yes, 100%. You know, he tries everything in his power to try to work with Adam, even though he's being a little bitch. Yeah. He, even after he finds out that Adam is lying to him, that he's been involved and has been taking pictures of him, which would make me unbelievably suspicious if I was in that yeah. situation. Well, and the fact that we find out that the person who hired him to follow him and take pictures was the detective who just has this insane vendetta Against Dr. Gordon. He is convinced that Dr. Gordon is the Jigsaw Killer. Yeah. And I have to say, as far as all the flaws go, and again, there's a plethora, that was actually one of the things that bothered me the most. That the cop thinks it was Dr. Gordon? And just the vendetta that he has and how just unhinged that former detective is. It was pretty ridiculous. It was just insanely over the top. It made no sense. After the initial interaction in the station where they checked his alibi and it checked out and was valid there was no good reason for him to continue to pursue him with the vigor that he did nothing there was nothing it just makes that lends no to it. sense nothing yeah that honestly bothered me the most i also thought it was incredibly funny that hours into their captivity gordon is all of a sudden like oh shit i think i know who did this yeah. <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> Something has (laughs) triggered my memory. I might know who did this. (laughs) Just very funny. Again, an enjoyable watch. So I guess we could go back to things that we like now that we've given it a good roasting. Okay. I also, I just have to say, I know we talked about how bad the acting is. I just have to say one last thing. And I mentioned it while you're watching it. But I think that something happened on this set where it's akin to, if you've ever been in a situation where you're surrounded by people that are not as gifted as you are in a certain aspect, whatever it may be. Let's say it's hula hooping. Let's say it's math. <laughs> let's say it's acting. Let's say it's dance, yoga, whatever. Uh-huh. Like, let's say you're a professional. Yeah. And then you just come across a group where they're like, hey, we're doing this thing. You want to hang out? And it's just like amateur hour. You're not going to be at your best performance. You're not challenged. You're not challenged. Yeah. You're definitely not doing your best. And I think that's what happened with Carrie Elway here. And even Danny Glover. Both of them, in general, are good actors. I love Carrie Elway's. Yeah. And I think 
even though he puts on like a Bruce Campbell-ish type of performance sometimes, it's deliberate, as yes. I'll say. I completely agree. And I think one, this was, as far as I know, the first time he's been in a horror movie like this and he's completely out of his element. And two, I feel like it, he would have been a lot better off if they had just let him be British because I feel like he was struggling so, so hard to cover his British accent. That's true. And it just wasn't happening. Even it being his first horror film, I have a very strong inclination to believe that he could have done a much better job and would do a better job in a different circumstance. Yeah. Bad acting, bad script. When Adam says uh, some shit like, never seen a dead body before. They don't move. Like, no shit, they don't move. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot going wow. on with that whole... <laughs> Basically, everything Adam says Everything out of just... Adam's mouth wow. is just... I do have to make a note, uh, Adam is played by Lee Wanell, who is the writer of this movie, so he had a lot going on. I think it's safe to say he's not an actor, but he tried. <laughs> I kind of wonder if that was a budget deal, or if just... I, w- I would be willing to bet that it was, yeah. Like, we can't afford yeah. another actor. Well, yeah, and, and he is also very good friends with James Wan, and they, they wanted to make this movie exactly. together, so it makes sense that he would also star yeah. in it. So... I mentioned earlier how I really appreciate James Wan's ability to create just iconic horror movies and horror franchises. So he is also the director of the Conjuring series and the Insidious series. I'm not a big fan of Insidious. I really liked the Conjuring, but he is just so well known for his iconic imagery. And you see little bits of that in this movie. And the first example that comes to mind is the doll, the Jigsaw doll which he built from scratch, apparently. I think that instantly, the first time I saw that doll, it was just burned into my brain. Instantly iconic. You never forget it. And he did the same thing with The Conjuring, I'd say very strategically, where you have the room in the Warren's house, which is essentially like the room of sequels. He has all these things planted in there that he literally then went to make movies out of, like the Annabelle doll and the nun painting and... Who knows what else is to come from that, but it's basically a room of sequels. And I feel like he does that so strategically and so deliberately. And he has successfully made three incredibly iconic horror franchises. Which, how can you not give anything but kudos to that? Yeah. That's not a one-hit wonder. That's not riding the pony. Like, yeah. three times, three different... He continues to keep doing yeah. it. And each one of them are franchises that... You know, has a whole core group of people that absolutely love and adore these. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think they're all crossover either. I, like, yeah. I don't think all Saw fans are necessarily Conjuring fans and Insidious fans. I'm I sure can it's like definitely that. say that's not the case. Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah. I'm sure you have that Venn diagram where there's crossover. Yeah. But I really do feel like they're in general and in majority, they're separate genres or separate groups and audiences that enjoy these things. And the fact that he's been able to capture what it is that a certain group of people find so enthralling yeah. to create such successful franchises out of them is very impressive. Yeah, I completely agree. So that being said, let's kind of get into that iconic ending. We were talking about the bad acting and how Carrie Away could have done better. That being said, it was a true joy to watch him completely lose his shit at the climax of this movie. And that's when things really, really started ramping up for me. At this point at six o'clock, he's run out of time to kill Adam and he just completely loses his shit. 
So he starts screaming. He starts pulling on the chain. He yells, fuck this shit. Other than the ending, this was my favorite moment of the movie. Well, this was all tied. Like, I feel like the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Was just so good. So, yes. That's the perfect way to put it. The last 10 minutes is Saw. So he is screaming. He's going insane. Adam is freaking out and he's running back and forth like a caged animal because he doesn't know what this guy's going to do if he's finally going to crack and kill him. Or how he's going to. Or how he's going to do it. Yeah. So then Dr. Gordon just rips off his overshirt, ties it around his ankle, and he has this insane look on his face and he's screaming, Adam's screaming, the music is picking up, and then he picks up that saw and you know exactly what he's going to do. Oh my god, that scene was so good. Oh yeah, and I was actually surprised because it's again... Writing off of a little bit of Seven, I believe, in being more suggestive than gory. Yeah. I remember that it. scene being visceral, and you don't see it. Yeah. It's not there. It's in your head. You see the first cut, yeah, you and see then you one see a little bit of blood splash spurt, on his face, yeah. and not even a lot. A little bit of blood splash on his face, but it's burned into your brain as this visceral, brutal scene. Yes. And it's all psychological. And I also couldn't help, I don't even remember this movie all that well, but I know that Yes Man was Jim Carrey. I just remember <laughs> there's a scene where he's like super depressed and he wrenches a bun- bunch of movies to watch on a Saturday night when everybody <laughs> else is like partying. And one of them is Saul. <laughs> and like, it's Jim Carrey freaking out about like, below the ankle, why aren't you going below the ankle? <laughs> so I noticed you said that too, and I'm curious about why that is. So you have more of your leg. Does it really matter, though? Yeah, like it's like above or below the knee. Above or below. The, that's a whole couple well, it's inches. It's not going to make much of a difference with function. Like, he's still not going to have that balance. Foot. He's not going to balance on the stump. Yeah, you can. But he's not going to. You'll also, have your joint is way more. There's more going on there. It's very articulate. Like, you don't want to cut I also your... think that, one, it could have been just a messy mistake. Two, it could have been, as a doctor, maybe he was very strategic about where he cut based on like the nerves and how much it would bleed. I don't know. Just I bunch. doubt it, but <laughs> I think it was just going insane. Started yeah. Cutting his leg off. Yeah. I really did enjoy that scene with him just screaming. And so then he cuts off his own foot and you think at this point, okay, he's going to get out of the room, but then he goes for the gun and he does shoot at him, but not fatally. And here again, he still doesn't. Why is Adam. that still fucking nice? Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I would have shot him in the fucking head. I couldn't actually tell. If he intentionally didn't kill him, or if he was trying to, but he was so in shock I couldn't and either. I thought he Adam, just, I thought he was just yeah. like misfired or whatever. But then later on, he tells Adam, "Like I shot you in the shoulder. It's not fatal." Yeah, as though it was intentional. And like you said, he's a doctor. He knows yeah. where it would be like less likely to be a fatal shot. That's the only reason I said that is because yeah. he specifically said that. So. I will give him the benefit of the doubt that he probably did just shoot him in areas where he thought he would survive because he's not a killer. He's not a bad dude. Yeah, but he is desperate at this point. Yes. And at the same time, we have a showdown with Dr. Gordon's family and who we up until this point still think is the jigsaw killer where he comes in and he says, I'm sorry, time's up. I have to do what I don't want to do now. The wife has gotten herself out of her ropes and then... Puts her hands back behind her back. So there is this crazy showdown fight. She gets a hold of the gun and then doesn't shoot him. That was one of my biggest gripes, too. This man has been holding her and her daughter captive. He's going to kill them. And her husband. And she doesn't shoot him. 
I would empty that fucking clip into that guy. Not only that, he is this skinny-ass dude who even the cop can't get later. Like, Detective Tap can't take this guy down later. I know. It's like, what the fuck? I guess he's just cracked out on an adrenaline or something. I Obviously, as well, that he's little... been poisoned. Like, he's well, not... <laughs> I mean, he's also fighting for his life, too. Yeah. So there's something to be said so for that. So are they, though. That pissed me off. But anyway, it was still suspenseful. Shit's going down. It's all happening simultaneously. And then Zepp escapes from that house. Then he gets to the warehouse. Is it... You think the warehouse where Dr. Gordon and Adam are is the same building? Mm-hmm. Just down below? Or adjacent to. Okay. So he gets down there and goes into the room. And at this point, Dr. Gordon's already caught off his foot. Adam's been shot in the shoulder. And then the detective shows up at this point, too. So there's this big showdown with all of them. Detective Tap can't take him down. He gets shot. Because I was making fun of him because he's like Groundskeeper Willie in the Simpsons episode <laughs> with The Shining. Like I'm every single time he goes to save somebody, he's like, gets stabbed in the back. And oh, he's like, I'm bad at this. Oh, I'm bad at this. Exactly. So Detective Tap is down. And then Adam takes the lid of the toilet and beats Zepp to death with it. Finds the tape recorder on Zepp's body. And this is where we find out if we're watching, if you're watching for the first time, you find out that Zepp is actually not the jigsaw killer. Well, can I back up just a little bit? Yeah. Because there's actually an important part here. Okay. So Zepp comes in and he's about to kill them. At this point, Adam's down on the ground. He's been shot. As far as we know, he's possibly dead. And Dr. Gordon is sitting there with his foot cut off, bleeding to death. And he's screaming like, I did it. I did it. Let me out. Give me my wife and kids back. And Zepp says... You didn't do it in time. Those weren't the rules. And so he's arguing with him that it, the rules have not been met and he's going to get killed anyways. And that is when Adam gets up and is able to like grab him and throw him, like grab his foot or something like that and throw him off balance to then beat him to death. And it's throughout this whole scene that all this shit's going on. And I think there's something along the lines of like Adam getting up and that's where that conversation takes place between Adam and Dr. Lawrence that like it wasn't a death wound. Like you just got shot in the shoulder. You're going to be okay. Yeah. But I have to go. Or I'm going to bleed to death. I'm yeah. going to bleed to death on my wife and kids. And so he's like, I'm going to bail. And he's like, don't fucking leave me alone in here. And he's like, I have to fucking go. And he just like crawls out of there. Yeah, and then Adam finds the tape. So Dr. Lawrence doesn't even Dr. Get to Lawrence hear this. doesn't know any of that. Yeah, so Adam finds the tape and then we get this whole thing about how Zepp has this slow-acting poison in his body and are you willing to kill an innocent wife and child to save your own life? And as this is happening, we get the beginning of just that iconic score that's associated with the series now. Mm -hmm. And Adam just has this look of shock on his face because he also thought that this was the killer. And then we have this amazing shot of the background of the room and you see that corpse that's who been, has been just a part of the set the whole fucking time that you've been watching this yes as much as the toilet or anything else like there's no reason why you had any interest in this corpse at all yeah except for maybe in a little bit in the beginning because it had a tape recorder in his hand but other than that it's just been there and all of a sudden you see this thing start to get up <laughs> and then it starts tearing the flesh this prosthetic makeup and whatever else it was that was disguising what looked like a gunshot wound to the head and tearing it off his face and we reveal that it's jigsaw yes and then he tells adam 
he points at the bathtub and he just says the key to that chain is in the bathtub. And then Adam has a devastating flashback of the first shot in the movie where we saw the water draining and this glow in the dark thing fall down the drain. So he realizes, holy shit, when I jumped up, I pulled the plug in the bathtub and I lost the key. And then he's just looking at Jigsaw and then he gets up and lunges at him and he pulled Jigsaw pulls out this little remote and zaps him with the chain and incapacitates him. From there, Jigsaw goes over, turns the lights off, and all you see is Jigsaw's silhouette, essentially, from almost like Adam's perspective. So you have the light in the hallway, complete darkness, Jigsaw at the door, and all he says is, game over. And he shuts the door. <laughs> and then we just hear Adam screaming, and then that's the end of the That's movie. the end of it. Oh, man. It's so good. The ending is so good. It really is. Oh, and like I you said, it. it's just that classic kind of bleak, dark, fucked up ending in a horror movie that I love. I love that so much. I really do wonder if that's what started that for me, because I am such a huge fan of just a bleak, mean ending. I am, too. And I was thinking about it when you said that. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that pre a certain amount of time, I don't, I'm not, I don't know what time frame that was. I'm not going to say there weren't any movies back in the 80s and stuff that had a blink ending. Obviously, yeah. there were. Yeah. But I feel like there were so many, especially in the mainstream, as far as like movies that you would go to the movie theater to yeah. see, where they always seem to have kind of a campy, happy ending. It's kind of like Cabin in the Woods was making fun of. Yes. You know, where you have, like, all these certain tropes, characters that die out and are going to get killed, but are young virgins going to make it? Or whatever it may be. Yeah. Whoever our protagonist is, they're going to make it, you know? Yeah. And we even kind of get a hint of that with Dr. Lawrence. Like, maybe he's going to make it, but then it's fucking bleak. Yeah. So we don't have a guarantee at the end of this movie that Dr. Lawrence made it out or didn't. But I think it's pretty strongly implied he didn't make it out of this game okay. Yeah, he looked bad when he left. He had lost a lot of blood. He also couldn't travel very fast, and Jigsaw's on his tail. So I don't think there's a lot to be said for that, and I really do appreciate the fact that that was kind of left to the audience. I am under the impression that his wife and daughter were also in that same building for that very reason, so that they would be close by enough that, given any kind of contingency, he could take care of them. Yeah. So, they're all dead, too. Probably. There's no reason to believe that they would make it out. Yeah. Essentially. I really do love that ending. Oh, man. I don't know if you can ever forget seeing Jigsaw get up off of the floor the first time. No. And how do you feel about that score? I feel fine about it. I mean, do you think that added to that moment? Oh, of course. I loved that so much. I did appreciate that they saved that until the end because now everyone will forever associate that score with that moment. Yes. But there were little notes and little hints of the beginning of it like at different points in the yeah. movie. Yeah, which I really liked. Like little reprisals here mm-hmm. and there. But that score and then just the slow motion of him getting up in the background slightly out of focus. Oh, just, so great. Like I said at the beginning, we were borderline cheering for the last 10 minutes of this movie. Just like, oh my god, yes. Well, the last I'm 10 ready. of this is so fun. <laughs> yes. It's so good. It really it is. It really makes it worthwhile to put up with a lot of the shit that you put up with. Yeah. And it pays off. It does. I agree. It is a 
fucking hoot. It is. I think this was a great pick. I'm seriously surprised by how much I enjoyed watching it again. Yeah, and just to kind of recap on things, some serious fucking issues with it, a lot of bad stuff about it, a lot of production issues, but overall, with that ending and the concept of what they were trying to bring to the party, pretty cool. Yeah. So on a scale of 0 to 12 beers, what rating would you give Saw? I was afraid you were going to ask me first. <laughs> I'm conflicted on this. I really am. No. It has a lot of issues that I don't know if I can necessarily let go yeah. rating-wise. The ending is iconic and original, and I have major, major kudos for that. I have to give kudos to the start of a franchise, a very successful franchise. But all things considered, I, I can't really call this a good movie. No. And with that being said, it's this idea of looking at things that are new and how to evaluate them because they're new and you can't just evaluate them with your previous set of tools. That wouldn't be fair and it's not right and it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's new. How can you possibly evaluate this if it's the same set of tools? So what you have to do is look at things in relation to what you already do know. Okay, so you get yourself closer and closer to saying it's close enough to this and it's close enough to this. It has to be somewhere in the middle. Okay. I'm not sure why I went down that road. Just trying to get you down the train of thought that I was on there. Appreciate it. Because I'm thinking that it's close enough to The Ninth Gate, which we just watched, Mm -hmm. which had similar issues in a lot of ways. But I enjoyed watching it and all that kind of shit. I want to give it an eight. And I still feel like that's too generous. I think in good conscience, I can't, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Seven and a half? Yeah. I think that's fair. In good conscience, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I think seven and a half is perfectly fair, considering all the issues that it has. And, you know, I really enjoyed this movie. I had a blast watching it. I would watch it again. But it really does have so many glaring problems that I can't overlook. So I'm giving it a seven out of 12. When it ended, I wrote down, oh, nine, because I was so excited and it was so fun. I immediately crossed it out. I was like, no, this is not a nine. (laughs) Definitely not (laughs) a nine. This is not a nine. Definitely not a nine. Yeah, I think think so. I think I just have such an inclination towards the games and the contraptions and the engineering behind it. Yeah. That that bumped it up that extra half a beer for me. Wow, this is only the second time on the whole podcast that you've rated a movie higher than me. I know. I'm surprised it was this one, too. Me, too. Not that by that much, but still... Well, neither was Sinister. I think it was a, you were half a beer higher than me, too. All right. Well, with that being said, what kind of beer would you pair Saw with? I actually found the perfect beer to pair this movie with, and it is from the Fort Hill Brewing Company, which is located in Massachusetts. It's called the Jigsaw Jazz Double IPA. Perfect. So I would love to try it, honestly, because I saw a picture of it poured into a glass and it looked delicious. It was this super opaque, deep yellow color with the foamy head on top. It looked very tasty. So Jigsaw Jazz Double IPA for Saw. Sounds good to me. I want to see Jigsaw do a little deep to it. Like the Jigsaw Jazz? The Jigsaw Jig? The Jigsaw Jig, yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of... uh, Kind of like campy little musical thing. Totally. (laughs) I also don't understand why he cuts out jigsaw-shaped pieces from his victims, but I'm not going to go down that road again. We're done. Yeah, there's a lot of that (laughs) making sense. There's so much, but I enjoyed it. This was a great pick. 
And I, I honestly can't say that I would have watched it again if you hadn't picked it. So I'm glad you did. Or like, you know, outside of this podcast, I don't think I would have elected to watch this again. I don't think I would have elected to watch it outside of this podcast either. I just Definitely was... not. I think that was a great pick and I I really did enjoy it. It was fun. So if, you, if you've seen it and you haven't seen it in a long time, you may want to go back and watch it. Yeah. I would say if you liked it the first time and haven't seen it in a long time, go ahead and rewatch it. Good correction. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, that was my scary, scary... Yes? Yes. Pick for October. And now we're moving on to the spooky, not scary. So what is your pick for this week? So for the last two weeks of October, as you mentioned, we are going to be movies that we deem spooky, not scary. So these are movies that are objectively not considered scary, but they still really embody the mood and the spirit of Halloween. So for our first installment of our spooky, not scary series, we are going to be covering... The Adams Family. Nice. From 1991. The original? The original. Awesome. I've been dying to watch it. I'm so excited. I believe that both of them are streaming on Amazon Prime right now. I think they're streaming in a couple different places. I saw them in two different places. It's out there. It's Halloween time. I'm sure they're available somewhere. It's out there, yes. So I'm really looking forward to watching that one again. It's been a while. Been a long while for me. Yeah. So you guys have been awesome, and I hope that... You are enjoying our improved sound quality with our brand new microphone. And as always, you guys can follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcast. If you have questions for us, movie or beer suggestions, or if you want to tell us your thoughts on Saw, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. If you do get a chance, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really, truly, sincerely helps us out. We really appreciate it. Truly. (laughs) This has been super fun to talk about, and I really enjoyed watching this movie. So good pick. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's been fun. And you guys have been awesome. And until next time, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky spooky. Because we're watching spook. Oh, shit. Spooky, not scary. Spooky, not scary. That's That's what I was trying to do. Not scary. Keep it spooky, not scary for the next two weeks. Cheers. Cheers.